0: Good morning. Glad to be gathered again with you today, looking at uh, the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, One, again, that I'm intrigued by and I'm grateful to be able to to talk a little bit about today. Uh, uh, A prophet who has a diff, not a different message, but a different way of bringing a message that we haven't seen before. And I'm going to talk more about that later, but I want to get us right in it. I'm trying to hold it down a minute, so I'm going to pray. Father, I'm excited. Thank you for the gift of your word and and just how in the work uh, in preparing for this lesson, you have impressed it upon me. And so I'm asking now for the gift of your Holy Spirit that continues to do its work in me, for me, to me, but also those now gathered with me and learning. (coughs) Bless us in our study. Bless us in our conversation so that all that we do will bring glory to your name we pray through Christ. Amen. So, we're going to jump right into this strange prophet Habakkuk. Um, that, uh, as I like to do, I'm going to store off Habakkuk, is Hebrew for the word embracer. And although, interestingly for me, it, although the name in Hebrew reflects this, it is also, uh, many commentators say, reflected in uh, the Mesopotamian language, and especially those who ruled over. The, the nation Israel, uh, about the, the ninth to the sixth century, so about the time that Habakkuk was writing, um, and that language in which the Mesopotamians ruled and where part was is called Akkadian, and in Akkadian, Habakkuk also has a meaning which means a plant or a fruit tree. Uh, the only thing interesting about that is that the, the, the relationship of the history to those who ruled. But Habakkuk has no relationship in in the prophecy towards a fruit tree or for a plant. But it's to see, even in our own culture, how names get used and picked up by the language um, in in relationship with orientation and and birth and so forth. But that's enough to say about Habakkuk because we don't know anything else about him. Uh, There's nothing within the prophecy, the book itself, and there's nothing within the other books of the Old Testament to give us a sense of who he is. <coughs> Not only that, we don't get a sense of of where he is. Uh, we expect it's in, in Judah and in the southern kingdom uh, by the nature of how he's writing, but more, uh, we can't even date his book other than by knowing to whom he is writing about in his conversation with God, and that is uh, prophesying about the nation Babylon. Now, in your translation, It may say Chaldeans, and Chaldeans were one of the largest tribes within the Babylonian nation state, so it it can go backwards and forwards, And, and most commentators then try to relate when this could have been written, and knowing that Judah was destroyed or invaded by Babylon in 605 BC, most folks then think that this book had to be written at least before that because... Habakkuk is alluding to, or not even alluding he is basically saying these people are going to take over, are going to destroy, and and he's angry with God for that. So there's a a time locator there within a 25 to 50 year period. Um, And as I said, as we started, Habakkuk is also very interesting because the role and the message of this prophet is very different than what we've been talking about and what we've already seen in the seven or eight prophets that we've talked about beforehand. Because instead of prophesying and chiding or exhorting either Judah or the northern kingdom Israel on God's behalf or bringing the message of this judgment, day of judgment even, that's coming on God's behalf, instead, Habakkuk is confronting God. He's like Job, demanding from God an accounting of God's actions that he has told or shown Habakkuk are coming about, or he's also getting mad at God for what God seems to be bringing forth and not doing. And so it's, it's an interesting uh, prophetic book because like the book Job, there is really a dialogue back and forth between Habakkuk and God about Babylon as it is going to be affecting Judah. Um, uh, and, and we don't get to see that very often in the Old Testament where a spokesman uh, speaks on behalf of God's people to God or dialogues with God on behalf of God's people. And and so in many ways, it's it's closer in affinity to the book of Job with that back and forth dialogue. And then also I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, when I get into the structure of this, it has another interesting section at the last section, which is more of a song than it is a um, like last week when we looked at Nahum, but going to get into that, going to start like I like like to do and read a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end and, and try to draw this together in between. So it opens up with, and this is all we have, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now reminding you that we talked about this last week, Nahum, oracle is translated as uh, from the root word burden and uh, becomes, uh, in a sense, the understanding by the prophet have received this from God and the heaviness of it, the burden of that, that is then having to be shared with others. And so um, we see this in the first statement, not only is this uh, uh, a burden for or an oracle to, to, to Habakkuk, but he has seen it. It's been a revelation, of vision we don't know how that vision came, whether it was in a dream or in a, in a different kind of altered state or, or in sleep or awake. Or, we don't know. But Habakkuk has seen it, and now it has become a burden of, of, to be shared. Um, and I'm going to continue reading just a little bit more, and you're going to see this beginning of this dialogical framework or structure to Habakkuk's book. So, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and thou wilt not hear? It's almost as, I want you to see this, he's responding to God by what God has shown him already. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, yet thou dost not save. Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. And the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And as I'm reading that, I I want to make sure you're understanding what what Habakkuk is responding to now. Is both perhaps the uh, revelation that God has provided, but he is 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 angry with God for what he is seeing in the culture of which he's a part, Judah, where the wealthy are trampling. This is a the theme again that we've had in Amos. The wealthy are trampling upon those without. The power are taking even more from the powerless. The wicked are prospering and the faithful are not. And, and Habakkuk is asking God why? Or the the eternal question, why do the wicked prosper that David asks within the Psalms? Um, so that's the first four verses. Now I'm going to read just a few more verses because you're going to, here's where the dialogue part begins kicking in. So after the first four verses, God responds. And the response is, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, or Babylonians, yours may, your translation may have, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. And God goes on to describe the, the terribleness of the people, the Babylonians, Chaldeans, who are going to be his instrument of justice against the wicked. Specifically those wicked that Habakkuk has brought up in conversation. In not, that, That's even too light of a word. In anger with God. And then I'm going to read now the last couple of verses in this third chapter. Um, so that I can kind of unfold a little bit what's going on in between. And and uh, I'm starting in the 3rd chapter the 17th verse. And and now Habakkuk is writing, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Habakkuk is describing a very bleak situation, one that probably was experienced as a part of this occupation and eventual destruction from Babylon upon Judah, a reality that he sees or is experiencing <coughs> of devastation and loss. So I'm going to continue. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hind's feet, like deer's feet, and makes me walk the high places. And then mine has at the end for the choir director on my, on stringed instruments. I'm going to talk again about that. Um, and has also within there, yours may say, la, a term that we saw regularly in the reading of the Psalms. But the reason I wanted to, to, to of include these last four verses 17 through 19 is is as i talk about the structure um i've been sharing each one of the prophets as they prophesy the judgment and calamity they also lift up a hope Uh, it's almost always those two go hand in hand and and so at the beginning we have this wickedness and judgment that are coming about and god's instrument for that but by the end of uh, Habakkuk's prophecy is a returning or reorienting of oneself into the reality, the, the goodness, uh, the waiting upon, the praising of God um, for what God is going to do. And, and, and Habakkuk says he's, he's going to become like a deer on the high places overlooking and in praise and in thanksgiving and, and worth worship of God is the culmination of his prophecy. So what is taking place then? How do we orient ourselves into this prophetic book? And, and perhaps the best way that I have thought about that is a word that I didn't know until I was in seminary that, that many of you may already be aware of or acquainted with And it. It's called theodicy. This is a book of theodicy. And the theodicy is just simply um, a defense of God's goodness and power in light of, in view of, in the presence and existence of evil. Habakkuk is asking, uh, since the wicked are clearly not innocent, but are deserving of punishment, why are they not being punished, God? And why are they allowed to unjustly treat your righteous ones, Uh, your faithful? Um, Why are they succeeding, at least in the world's terms, and there does not seem to be relief for the suffering. Uh, Why hasn't judgment come upon? That is theodicy at its best. Why is there a good God, and yet we still have such profound evil and wickedness? And it makes me go back and think, and and you may have heard of the author, Rabbi Kushner, in in his well-known book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, um, who posed the same question. And it's the same question that Job poses. And it's the same question we saw in many of the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? And and for Kushner, his idea was that if there is a God, then he can't actually, he's limited in, in his power to protect bad things from happening to good people. Or his other idea is that um, uh, God's power is, is not all good, in or I shouldn't say it that way. It's not all powerful to bring about and, 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 and protect God's people. Um, and that the reality then for Kushner and for many who ask that question is that simply it's part of the natural process. And, and uh, God has chosen to limit God's self in that because we have the expectation of eternal or uh, re, um, uh, a, 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 a uh, apocalyptic understanding of recreation that is coming that, that we see uh, with the second coming of Christ, what we see in the, the end of Revelation of a new Jerusalem. But I don't want to get stuck on that. And this is a book that's asking the question, the prophet is asking the question, and then becomes even more important because the question gets uh, added to of... of uh, how can God use wicked people to bring about God's judgment? That these people are even more wicked than the wickedness that, that Habakkuk is seeing in his own community, his own culture. Um, and, and, and underlying all of Habakkuk's conversation, his dialogue, his prophecy, we have to hold to an understanding that, that um, uh, the, the, the prophet's foundation For judgment and foundation for punishment is God's covenantal agreement with God's people, especially God's faithful, as we begin to see and is being expressed more and more a remnant of faithfulness, especially now if he's writing at a time when the northern kingdom has been wiped away. So rather than condoning sin or asking that it be ignored, the prophet is really calling for a punishment. That is based on this covenantal understanding and orientation of God and God's people. So that for Habakkuk, he's starting from a foundational belief that God is not only holy and eternal, but has promised to be related, covenantal relationship with God's people. And so I think that's why it's important towards the last verses that I read, the very end of his prophecy, that... Habakkuk has come to realize that his faith can ultimately and finally be left in God, who keeps his covenant with God's people forever. It's an unshakable relationship with with the covenanting God, despite what they may be experiencing at that moment. And in the midst of all the questioning and dialogue, Habakkuk calls forth for his own understanding, but therefore then for all who are reading it and, and speaking for them. That's what he is, a prophet speaking for the people, that they can, as he does, call God to be his own. Um, and so all that then gets wrapped up in a practical term, a practical understanding, and, and, the, and the, the, the great value New Testament-wise of this book of Habakkuk, has come about with the meaning and understanding of faith. So much so that Romans picks this up and even Galatians, this one verse from the second chapter, verse 4, when he says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Or in political terms, the righteous will live by their faith. Faith, And that's ultimately in this conversation, this dialogue, this anger that Habakkuk has in expressing to and with God. Ultimately, this becomes the crux or the fulcrum that eventually forces the dialogue to a whole different direction, much like Job, uh, but in a, in a dissimilar way to be reoriented in his understanding of who God is and who we are with God. It's a knowledge of faith that invites and recognizes a knowledge of God's glory. It's not the works of the wicked that are destined to fill the earth, quite the opposite. The understanding we have of a glorious and faithful God is that the wicked will be in our being removed. As what we will come towards the conclusion is to see that all the earth will be redeemed into a worship-filled covenantal grounded experience with god and, and that's a beautiful image a, a beautiful transition that invites us as we read it so how in the structure of this book does that get accomplished so again i, I always lift up these ideas of structures as means for us to have handles to hold on to or to orient ourselves towards so that we can remember what is going on within the, in the entire book or the prophetic uh, oracle that's being shared. So, the book is divided primarily into two sections. The first section is this dialogue that takes place with God. And so, we, we have two dialogues that are taking place with God. The first one is chapters one and, I mean, the, 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 the first section of these two dialogues is chapter one and two. And then the third chapter is this um, hymn of praise or psalm. And in the first section, which is the dialogue, the back and forth with God, the two questions that that are coming forth, which I've already shared expresses, one is why does God permit the injustice or the increasing wealth of a minority of Judah, of wicked, to go unpunished? And then God provides an answer uh, that that judgment is coming. And that judgment is going to be brought forth by these people, the Chaldeans and Babylonians, which then brings the next question up of how can a just God use an even more evil people, Babylon, Chaldeans, to bring about God's justice or to bring about that punishment? And, and, uh, you know, it's interesting because... uh, in, in this first section, the first half of each one of the sections is the question, and the second half is the reminder of who God is and God's power and God's glory and God's relationship and the foundation of that covenant with God's people that leads basically, it doesn't answer the question directly, but, but leads to the third chapter, which is this praise in a song. Now, uh, which is uh, a recognition ultimately of who God is. And I I bring up this third chapter because as you read it, it is gorgeous and beautiful in reminding both in the uh, Hebraic language poetry use, which in the language is built on visual language cues. But also in this section specifically, there are two big things that that I, again, already alluded to. One is the the use of the musical notation that we've seen in the Psalms of the word selah. And, and we don't really know what that selah means. Uh, some have uh, expressed that it means pause, like uh, a, a choral singing, and then a pause for a momentary reflection. Or um, it could have been a musical notation for the people to do something. We just don't know. Um, and uh, then there's another at the end of this, uh, <coughs> Habakkuk uses this term in... And, and <coughs> I remember trying to express this in the psalm study, a uh, Hebrew word that it's shigionoth, I think that's how you pronounce it, shigionoth, which is a very obscure term that, again, we believe is either musical reference or information that uh, to tell them how to play, much like our piano fortes and so forth. I don't do music, but I've had this conversation with, as a direction of how to do or what to be doing as this is being perhaps sung. But it also has um, uh, a potential uh, de- uh, uh, meaning of, of to be played on a stringed instrument, which is what I remember back from our psalm studies. And in, in, I think there's about uh, 50-some psalms that include this term. And, and they, at least my New American Standard Bible editors, translate this as to be played on a musical instrument and goes into the psalm and lays that out. What the interesting thing about that for me is both this use of this word on Shigioneth and the musical the nation Son of Selah is that uh, there is a good chance that Habakkuk may have had some Levitical training, the worship leading or liturgical leading of worship for God's people in the temple uh, because there's no synagogue yet in this uh, culture. It's coming with the destruction of Jerusalem, but it hasn't taken place yet. And by that, um, uh, it just gives us perhaps an insight into who Habakkuk may be, because we don't have any other things to draw upon. But also a way that would understand how he can write such a beautiful psalm or song of praise that is the conclusion to his prophetic work. So, again, we have this two, pa- two passages in the first half, the dialogue back and forth of, of the, the question of why is wickedness not punished and how can you uh, uh, bring about this punishment when it's worse than the, the, the disease, for lack of better words. The medicine is worse than, than, the, than the disease. And, and the response is he is waiting for God's response, which is ultimately uh, a, a recognition of the coming judgment on all the wicked not just the Judeans, not just the Babylonians, but especially the Babylonians and others who are so wicked, even though God is using them, they too will come upon eventually the finality of God's judgment. And then concluding with this the second half, the whole third chapter, which is the psalm of petition and praise, of of seeing God's hand in history, of trembling. Uh, That's the the wording that, that Habakkuk uses that is yet to be uh, recognized as he sits in silence almost, reflecting upon the message, the burden that God has shown him that is coming and in recognition of the uh, conversation that Habakkuk has been privy to have with God. There's a lot. It's exciting. Um, I would even invite you, if you go back, If you have not read it, read the third chapter first, and then go read the first two, or read the first two and read the third one twice, because it reorients us into who we are with God. Um, So, what are we supposed to do with this prophet? I mean, you're you're seeing some of that as I've already expressed my enjoyment of it, but um, in that, as I read it, the 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 prophet. Um, is one who, in many ways, is standing with us or at our side in conversation with God, and, and it's almost as we're to see ourselves standing, listening to it, and and ultimately comes down to he must and he chooses to wait and listen to God, and it's in this waiting and this listening that then moves him into praying. Um, and in that action of waiting, listening, and praying, he finds a a larger, if you, if that's even a way to express it, understanding of who God is and God's sovereignty, especially over all of creation and not just the limited Judaic God's people. It's we're seeing then the the. the the blowing out of God's sovereignty and relationship to all the world and all the creation that Habakkuk gets to by his waiting, by his listening. And, and only as he does experience that does he eventually re- realize that believing in God becomes a trusting in God is where real life is found or the image of, of resting in God's hands, is who we are and ultimately all that there is to be. He started out where we start out with puzzles puzzle and complaints and even accusations against God. And, and the gift is he's allowed to, but he doesn't get stuck there. He ends up in a world along with us where every detail of our life is recognized in love of God for us and is being worked out in us for goodness uh, or ultimately for a blessing of life in relationship that can only be found in God. As we say, that's what we have been created for. Habakkuk sees that by the hearing, the listening, and the praying. Um so I have a kind of a, a final thought that some commentators have brought up that, that, that I'm reflecting on as I think about this because the book of Habakkuk also uh, re- forces us to reflect upon a kind of faith that had become the norm for Judaism <coughs> and later even in Christianity in the New Testament understand that, uh, that Israel can no longer have the means to try to shape their own destiny. Um, they hadn't done it and could never do it. They had always hoped that they could bring about what they wanted. But eventually, they were overrun by this other nation. And and under these empires that have uh, cascaded over them and, and demon- uh, brought them to their end, uh, they became pas- passive. Uh, they can become recipients without choice of whatever good or evil others chose to bring to them. Um, but that's okay because in faith, in their hope in God, that chapter 2, verse 4, the, they ultimately come to see and believe that God would provide what was necessary for God's people to serve God or to be in relationship with God. And so for Habakkuk, for the nation, Judah, the remnant especially, And then what is picked up in the New Testament in this understanding of faith. This believing and waiting become the essential elements of a way of life. The life of faith is a life of waiting, believing, and then ultimately praying. Because that's where the relationship occurs and develops and and becomes all for who we are. Whew! So in order to invite you to think about that kind of sense, uh, I have uh, the four questions that I had this week. And again, those will be at the end of the video. Is The first is, what was Habakkuk's solution to the disappointments and the frustrations that he was seeing and all experiencing, but also having been given a vision to see by God? What is Habakkuk's solution to all the problems that he sees? Um and in that then, what does Habakkuk think about the value of faithfulness and hope? And I want us to reflect along. That's what I've been thinking about this week. What do I think about faith and hope? How are those two wound up for me? Um, another one is, ultimately, what does God have in store for the arrogant and the ruthlessly cruel? And why is that important for us to also hold on to? Um, and then finally, this is a question that that is is becomes uh, a part of almost all our prophetic studies. What is Habakkuk teaching us about God's faithfulness to God's people in the long term or throughout all of history? Uh, I have phrased that in different ways of of looking back upon God and seeing what God has been doing to us. But what is this what is this prophet teaching us new about God's faithfulness? To God's people, specific but also generalized in the very broadest terms of history. That's the prophet Habakkuk. And next week we come back and look at yet another one who's writing at about the same time frame, this eighth century. This uh, uh, the, the prophet Zephaniah. And I hope and look forward to you joining me. And if you have questions, you know where to find me, and I look forward to responding. Let us pray. I bless you, praise you, for you are a God who does not forget, who reaches out, who restores, who redeems, who is at work, who is not absent in any way, despite what we may feel or see or think. You are God and who is worthy of our praise. So may we praise you by who we are. In the name of Jesus, I say, I pray. Amen. Have a great week.